This is KHOI Story City Ames, and you are listening to I Am Able Iowa, where we discuss the ability and disability. I'm Anna Magnuson, your host for today. Daniel Hadendorf and Meredith Frankham, our co-host, are with us through the power of Zoom. Samantha Edwards, our I Am Able Iowa researcher, provides a question to kick off our show, and she wants to know this. You ready for it? Yeah, you are. What is something that you have done that you never thought was possible? So I'll just repeat that question in case you're not ready. What is something that you have done that you never, ever thought was possible, but you did it? So Daniel, what have you done? Thing that was very, like, thought-provoking or, like, oh, wow, what a what a story. But my problem is because of the way I live my life, which is I don't try to look too far into the future or set long-term goals because if I do that, then that just raises my anxiety levels. So I just go day by day and then I'm like, oh, that's something I haven't done before. And so by that logic, the best thing I can think of is that I never thought I would be able to do 40 push-ups in one sitting. But I can, like, pretty effectively now. Like, I started uh, my workout routine when the pandemic began because I figured I needed something to both occupy my time and keep myself in shape. And so, like, sort of without even recognizing it, the fruits of my labor have actually... Uh, what, do, what do you call it? Ripened, I guess, for the sake of the metaphor. So now I'm able to actually maintain some upper arm strength and some core muscles. So hooray, hurrah. Yeah, very impressive because I could not do that. I don't think I could do it and I don't want to do it. So Meredith, <laughs> how about you? Um, this question is really hard for me because I feel like everything that I have done is something that I thought I could do. Not necessarily because it was easy, but because I thought, well, I could probably do that. And so for me, I feel like, Maybe looking at the question from the perspective of what have you done that you're kind of amazed that you did. Okay. And I, you know, forgive us listeners for going back to this once again. But I mean, I think the fact that I picked my family up and moved across the world and lived in France for five and a half years and like made that work. I think I look back at that and think that was pretty amazing. Yeah. If you could literally pick your family up, I'd say that qualifies for an answer. <laughs> well, I think that both of you are amazing. And speaking of amazing, Philip, don't think that you got away with not asking, uh, answering the question. But Daniel, you're going to introduce our guest. Certainly. Philip Muccio is the president and founder of the Ann Arbor-based Axiobionics. Muccio has designed, manufactured, and fit a wide assortment of innovative medical devices that treat the effects of muscle paralysis and improve the quality of life of those with severe disabilities. Muccio is a neuroprosthetist, prosthetist orthotist, and clinician who treats a wide array of medical conditions affecting the muscular, skeletal, and nervous systems. In his words, while orthotics will always have a solid place in rehabilitation to stabilize joints, Neuroprosthetics, a technology that unleashes the vast resources of the body and promotes muscle activity, is a new frontier that frees the body in ways previously not possible. Most recently, Muccio has received, was the recipient rather, of the 2020 Marion Kitt McDonald Closing the Divide Award, the United Cerebral Palsy, or UCP of Michigan, and UCP of Metropolitan Detroit, are recognizing Muccio for his longstanding commitment to the disability community. Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank for you for having me. Yeah, yeah, pleasure to be here. Would you like to take a stab at answering that question? Because, I mean, I don't think you're going to be able to top Meredith picking up her family, literally, <laughs> on going to France. 
Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, my life has been a, a spattering of micro achievements and things that I thought I would never accomplish. But you just, you don't ever put large, super large goals out. At least I don't. Um, but it's a, the accumulation of micro goals. And, you know, then if you look back and you go, wait a minute, you know, that's that's been a larger accomplishment than I actually thought. And that's sort of, I would say, probably the most surprising part of my life, you know, in terms of accomplishment is, you know, just looking at looking at things as a whole. And and the future is always going to be uh, a bit uncertain, but you can sort of guide yourself, set out small goals and maybe even have a few larger goals. But I think, punitively speaking, you're, you're often surprised that you get to where you want to go. Um and looking at life a little bit in the shorter term and then realizing, oh, my gosh, you know, there's been a lot. And I, so, think, you, oh, and I think what you've accomplished, we got a little freeze there for a second, but as he's frozen in the moment, I think what you've accomplished and how you're making a difference for others is absolutely extraordinary and amazing. And Daniel shared a little bit about uh, who you are in the bio that he uh, read for us, but would you tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and your story a little bit? Sure, sure. Well, I think um, when you end up in um, in the field of rehabilitation, which I am, uh, you you almost have this perspective that um, people with physical disabilities are in some way disadvantaged. That's common sense, right? I mean, if you have paralysis. You're physically challenged in in the sense that you can't get around as easily as you would say non paralysis. Somebody walking with, with the ability to walk around. So it just occurred to me early on in my life that you know to level the playing field for folks that I wanted to play a role in helping people achieve a higher quality of life through you know enhancing what they have. So if you're somebody who's succumbed to paralysis. You know, you don't have to necessarily. Um, you don't. You don't have to deal with those uh, conditions alone, because I can help you. You know, from a day-to-day basis, deal with spasms and pain, and uh, other issues that will come up. You know, and so I think it's easier for one to to go to work, even sleep, when you have fewer problems. So I think that was my goal early on to try to bring some semblance of quality of life to people with physical disabilities. Why so? I mean, why is this a passion? Well, I was, I myself was born with something called clubfoot. So that's not, uh, not a super, uh, uh, it's not a super difficult problem, but you know, I was exposed very early on to surgeries and, and crutches and, you know, through my earlier years. And I, I grew to really like the medical field. I, I saw people working in this field. I was just fascinated with what they were doing. And, you know, the, the orthopedic side of it was fascinating to me. And I thought, you know what, there's probably something I could do, you know, to help people. I just don't know what that is yet, but I just thought, you know, I want to be a part of this. This is a really this is a really awesome thing to do. 
And so how did you end up as a neuroprosthetist? That seems like a very, very specific specialty. Well, neuroprosthetics really is not a field yet, I wouldn't say. I call myself a neuroprosthetist because I started developing these products many moons ago, probably about 1987, 88. And, you know, I brought to the table a conglomeration of devices, muscle, muscle stimulation devices, pain modulation devices that we can group into this field we call neuroprosthetics. And I customize them in a way to meet the needs of these individuals that come to me. So in a way, I sort of on the path of developing this field, we would call neuroprosthetics. It's, um, it's sort of like the third wheel. We've got orthotics, which people typically are aware of, you know, where you, you fit braces and you have the field of prosthetics, which replaces limbs. What people don't realize is that this field called, we call neuroprosthetics is a replacement for your nervous system. So when your nervous system goes defunct in some way, is there a way we can bring back some of its functionality? And if, if so, then we can, we can help people overcome some of their problems, obviously in a very different way from say traditional orthotics, because again, in orthotics, the main goal is to restrict motion in joints. Joints can be restricted, but in the process of doing that, muscles begin to atrophy. So it's sort of counterintuitive in a way because the body really is not meant to be in an atrophied state. It would prefer to be in good condition. It would prefer to be moving. Joints have to be in motion in order to stay healthy. And what neuroprosthetics tends to do is it tends to do the exact opposite. So it really goes after the muscles and enhances movement. And in the process of doing that, your body responds very, very nicely. It's sort of like tapping into your nervous system and giving the nervous system the ability to go deeper into the body wherein it will excite and move muscles and in that process you know that the the whole body begins to change right down to cellular level so it's it's visible because you can see muscles contracting and you can see muscles doing their thing but underneath it all there's a host of things that are changing for the better and do you use like electrical impulses or pulses not impulses but pulses to to make the muscles work we do, and we do it uh, from the surface of the skin. Now, when I first got into research back in the, the middle 80s, we were implanting wires right into the muscle. We were hoping to put electrical impulses close to the nerves, and then those, those uh, pulses would trigger the nerves, and then the nerves carry the signal forward to the muscles. But it just occurred to me that maybe there's a more practical way of doing it. And that's why I decided to uh, move away from implanted systems into uh, surface sim- simulation. But in doing surface stimulation, it's pretty clear to me that the way it was, it was being done with individual electrodes applied to the skin was um, a little bit antiquated. 
I thought we could do better because when you ask somebody to use electrical stimulation at home, you're asking a non-expert to be able to place electrodes. And many times you're asking multiple electrodes, like maybe 40 electrodes to be placed if you're quadriplegic. And if you're going to do that, well, what is the chance of error? Well, it's very, very great because people don't have the ability to do that easily. And of course, electrodes always have a tendency to come off. So it just seemed to me that something needed to be done. It needed to become a wearable device. And if, and if that could be donned very easily, then of course we've solved the problem. So we've gotten rid of the invasiveness of the implanted system. We've gotten rid of the, the, the haphazard electrode application from, from traditional electrical stem. And now we are doing it with, in a much more controlled environment with the suit applying the electrodes and the suit holding the electrodes. So now it opens up so many more possibilities in terms of uh, keeping, keeping you moving forward as, a, as an individual with a, with a physical disability. Like spinal cord injury, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. So it may turn out that you rely on this technology forever. So you need to have something that is reliable, something that uh, isn't going to fall apart on you every time you try to do it. And 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 we find out, of course, that that not only can these individuals do it, but their caregivers are are quite capable of doing it. So. I think it's been quite amazing that this technology is being so useful in in places you wouldn't think so. We used to think that all all uh, therapy had to be done in a clinic, and of course the problem there is that you know we don't have access to clinics as much as we need them, and so what, when you place a device like uh, our wearable therapy system on patients in their home, they have access to it 365. And so that's the power of the wearable system. I sort of have a question about its physical appearance. You you described it as a suit. And in my mind, I'm thinking like sort of a hazmat circumstance, but is it something that is very prominent that would maybe stick out in a crowd or is it something a bit more uh, subtle as it were, like one could just wear their day clothes over it? It's the latter. I mean, we, we obviously want people to be able to wear their suits underneath clothing if necessary. We have a lot of those situations, especially, uh, for example, with people who have chronic pain. That would be a good example. Chronic, we want to be able to have you wear a suit underneath your clothing. It doesn't need to be visible in any way. On, on the other hand, we also take care of people that have hemiplegia, and the most common one is uh, stroke, and they usually can leave an arm paralyzed. And so uh, when I have you wear an arm sleeve, there's a possibility that, of course, it would be underneath your clothing when you go out in public, but part of it may be visible. So it, it, is, it is possible that you will be showing it off, um, but I don't think it's a it's not a it's not a um, a brace that necessarily would draw attention to your to your body. It's a little more subtle than that. So, if anyone wants to see what 
the braces look like, you can go to axiobionics.com and have a look. Um, I, I totally agree with you, Philip. They are totally unobtrusive. They are unremarkable in how they look. It just looks like a brace. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, they're not necessarily um, braces in the traditional sense. Like traditional braces are usually rigid or semi-rigid. The great thing about wearable therapy is that it's a fabric. And I purposely designed it this way because when we send people home with these suits and they have paralysis, typically along with the motor paralysis comes sensory paralysis, sensory paralysis, sensory deprivation. And so in that scenario, you don't often feel well enough to determine if, you know, something is causing skin uh, pressure or skin breakdown. But with our suits, we don't worry about it because the the whole system is made of a fabric which is flexible and soft. And in fact, you can wear it all day long and not worry about it. We have, we even have some people that will wear it when they sleep at night. And so the great thing is we do not have to worry about pressure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, every once in a while, we're getting a little fancier with that. Um, sometimes we'll add a few colors. Um Especially if somebody who, who comes to us shows up with, say, purple shoes, purple shirt, purple this, purple that. Well, now we know that this person would be more likely to wear our suit if it were purple. So we, we'll, we'll go out of our way a little bit that way. Now, in terms so, of the technology oh. itself, um, when I think of one testing his reflexes, I do not think of an electrode. Like my first thought is go to your doctor. They pull out the little mallet, hit your knee, maybe a kick, maybe you don't. Why go for the electrotherapeutic method rather than trying to stimulate sort of that mallet on the knee thing? Is there, is it just proven to be more effective or is there something that's just beyond my current knowledge? Well, I like your, your question because it, it's going to help me to dig deeper into this topic. Um, and, and this is the crux of neuroprosthetics, because when I say that the technology um, can, can go deep into your body and access parts of your nervous system, um, what I mean by that is that when we trigger certain muscles um, and we, we can go in and we can, we can either excite a muscle um, directly or or we can inhibit a, a muscle all of that happens through reflexes so we have excitatory reflexes we have inhibitory reflexes and so one of the most common uh, things that we see in people who have paralysis is something called spasms and spasms are are nothing more than reflexes so if you take a hammer and hit hit your patellar tendon on the knee that causes an excitatory reflex. That excitatory reflex only lasts a split second, right? I mean, if, if you take away the tap, you don't get further uh, knee jerks. And so with electrical stimulation, the great thing about it is you can continually apply this external stimulus and you can cause excitation or you can cause inhibition. So let me give you an example of inhibition. So if you want to if you want to relax muscles, 
what you can do is you can you can tap into the nervous system and if you can trigger an inhibitory reflex what that will do is shut down a muscle's uh, pathway so in, in effect you're really causing relaxation that's that's an inhibitory another example is pain management i mean f- few folks understand uh, that in our own body has the ability to control pain it's a reflex inside the spinal cord you can't wish yourself into no pain through this reflex you can't sit there and concentrate just like i can't sit there and concentrate and, and wish my knee to jerk like the hammer does you can't do that but when you apply an external stimulus what you're doing is you're reaching down into that nervous system and you're triggering that inhibitory reflex and that will cause pain of inhibition it's a beautiful thing because it doesn't require any sort of drug to do it and and these mechanisms exist within our body so this is the beautiful thing about neuroprosthetics unlike unlike bracing for example like if you come to me with back pain certainly i could put a brace on you uh that may be effective but the other way to look at this is what if i could reduce your pain simply by tapping into your your body's nervous system that that's a great tool to have and you know oftentimes we can get pain down in 10 minutes let's say somebody comes into me with a very high pain level uh let's say a 6 7 or an 8 can actually go down to 0 we have that but they might go to a 1 or 2 or 3 but that happens very quickly because that mechanism is just waiting for it to be triggered so i tend to think of um physical therapy when you you know they talk about pain and muscle rehabilitation and i remember like i when i was a teenager i had to go and they put these electrical um, stimulation on my leg and it kind of hurt. And I want to know, like, does your technology hurt? Is it painful? And what is the connection between, you know, your stimulation and physical therapy? Is it kind of a marriage of the two? Well, first of all, uh, yes, electrical stimulation can hurt. It doesn't have to though. Number one, if you place electrodes incorrectly, uh, it can hurt, actually. It's, if it's not placed position, if it's not positioned properly over the motor points, yes, it can hurt. Or if the if the electrodes are not applied properly, sometimes they don't make good contact with skin, so that can lead to to uh, pain. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. So uh, we we always are striving to make electrical stimulation better and better. Um, and I would say um, the vast majority of our clients, and, and there are literally thousands of them, they get along quite well with it. One reason, one reason that we can actually stimulate muscles in a significant way is that a lot of our clients, like the clients that have spinal cord injury, probably don't have sensation. So they don't feel the stimulus. So that allows us to, to, to stimulate their muscles aggressively, let's say. So uh, in the end, it, um, it always depends on the individual. So if you take somebody with, say, arm paralysis after a stroke, we're not really pushing those muscles aggressively as we do, say, in, in spinal cord injury or in the lower extremity. For the arm muscles, we don't really push muscles very hard. So, um, no, the stimulus does not have to be very painful. Now, and by the way, they will wear these things 
for up to 12 hours per day. So they learn to adapt. They learn to acclimate to it quite well. Uh, you wouldn't think so, but um, this is very much possible. It's almost like walking into a bakery. You, you initially smell freshly baked bread, but it, but that will soon subside. So electrical stimulation will tend to go into the background where you can live your life and let it'll do its thing. Now, as far as the question concerning physical therapy, um, most everybody who has, you know, had an injury of some sort has been to physical therapy and physical therapy can be very helpful. The problem with physical therapy is just it's time limited. So you can only go once or twice a week and sometimes insurance companies will restrict you after so many visits. And for, for the most part, when we're dealing with people with long-term, long conditions, that simply doesn't make sense. We have to be able to expose people to more ongoing therapy. And if you think about it, God gave us 24 hours in a day. And those 24 hours can be uh, very productive hours if we apply uh, muscle therapy, muscle stimulation therapy appropriately. Um, you know, it's, we, it's, it's rather funny because sometimes parents will say, you know, we put the suit on our, my child and as we're going to therapy, the kid's getting therapy. So they're making use of that hour drive to and from. Um, and so you get, you soon realize that there's way more potential uh, available to us. And I think that's what's trans transformative about Axios wearable therapy technology is that it's suddenly bringing, you know, the world to, to a new age, let's say. So uh, when you are paralyzed, you, you don't have very much muscle activity. It almost goes to zero. Contrast that with before you were paralyzed, when you were walking, in a normal fashion every day, you, you were probably doing about 10,000 steps per day, which means you were contracting your muscles 10,000 times. So going from 10,000 down to zero is not a very good idea. So our goal as a neuroprosthetist is to push your body down the spectrum a lot closer to what would be considered normal muscle activity. That's our goal. That's one of our goals, of course. But, I mean, you think about it, there's 24 hours in a day that allows us to do that. We're not restricted by that hour in PT. So I think the PTs would be uh, there. What we know is that the PT uh, work that they do would be far more effective if the patient came to them with fewer contractures, fewer, fewer spasms, with, with muscles that have an atrophied, you know, um, and so we, we want to be in partnership with these folks. You know, we want to, we want to be able to enhance what they're doing uh, by what we're doing. That's right. Physical therapy. Yes. Yes. It's, sorry. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Drew is an amazing individual. Number one. Um, he incurred a spinal cord injury while at school. He was demonstrating how he could do a backflip. Well, he ran, he landed incorrectly 
and that caused them to have a C1, C2 spinal cord injury, which basically means you're paralyzed from the highest point possible down. And that means you lose all of your muscle control below the injury and you lose your ability to breathe voluntarily. Uh, Very tragic in a way, but, you know, I must say, uh, Drew did not skip a beat. And I'm to this day very amazed at this individual. But we got to Drew within about nine months after his injury. And our goal was to prevent the loss of atrophy in his muscles. That was one of our main goals. And so he purchased the entire suit, which means – and when I say suit, I don't mean that it's a complete suit from head to, from from neck down. It's it's basically constructed in parts. So there's a left arm sleeve, a right arm sleeve, shorts, leg sleeves, vest, that kind of stuff. So he purchased that whole array, and he managed to fi- uh, uh, work it into his routine, his daily routine, and found out that he could do that. He could do various parts of his body uh, at certain certain designated times during the day. And actually he worked himself into nighttime. So you can imagine, you know, Drew's going to sleep and his shorts are on and he's doing muscle stimulation as he's dozing off. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and then soon, Drew, I failed to mention Drew was injured at age 15, but he made himself um, an application to the University of Michigan and went to school for five for the next five years. Never once missing a beat with his physical with his uh, Axio suit. But the other interesting thing is, you know, as a college student, you don't have time to go off campus. You don't have time to go to physical therapy. He didn't do physical therapy once during the time he was at the U- University of Michigan. He relied solely on the wearable therapy suit as his means of keeping his body in shape. That was a remarkable uh, undertaking, of course, um, uh, to put your trust into the suit solely. But, you know, to this day, Drew enjoys a very well-developed body. He doesn't have medical conditions that normally we see in spinal cord injury. Um, Everything is very well-maintained. I think keeping that body in shape is the best thing you can do because your body can be your best friend if you keep it in shape. If you allow it to degrade, it can become your worst enemy. And that's what we don't want. We want to avoid that at all costs. There's one I'm thinking of, but I don't think now's the right time. Well, the suit obviously has to be washed. Anything that goes against the body has to be kept clean. So, yes, we do design it that way. Um, It's a little counterintuitive to take a suit with wires and dunk it in water, but it does work. It's fine. Um, We don't put it in a washing machine. We, We just ask people to wash it by hand, so keep it keep it from the vigors of that, that agitator. Um, but suits can last many years. That's the great thing about it. I mean, 
we're talking our electrodes do not have an endpoint that we know about, which is an amazing thing to say. But for us, you know, when we give somebody a suit, we don't really want to hear from them. Um, we, what we do follow people very closely, but we don't want to hear from them that the, the system has malfunctioned or that they don't have something, something, um, some complexity has arisen. We would prefer just to hand in the suit and have them do it every single day and five years later show up and say, you know, I, I, I've been using this thing. It's great, but maybe it needs a little refurbishing. So that's what we prefer to do. And if you think about it, when somebody embarks on a wearable therapy system, um, they can put in thousands of hours of muscle therapy Literally, I mean, even just one arm, like in a patient with stroke, can can do four thousand hours per year wearing an arm sleeve. That's an amazing a num- amazing number of hours. And if you continue that on for years, you can see how it adds up very quickly. Uh, the typical medical conditions we don't want to see or want to help with are muscle spasms. Uh, atrophy, range of motion issues. Sometimes people with with a, a degree of muscle spasm uh, will generate contractures or tightness in their joints that will cause the hand to fist up or the elbow to flex or even the ankle to push down, and then things kind of get stuck that way. And uh, that's not a very good place to be because it takes a lot of effort to, to bring – that range of motion back. So if we can prevent it, that's, that's, that's exactly where we want to be. We want to prevent, prevent these things. So the earlier we get involved with folks, the better, of course, because, you know, when you're first injured, you you don't have these issues. So if we can, if we can step in and prevent them from happening, that's, that's the best place to be. Circulation is kind of another one. Oh, sorry. I just, I was just saying, uh, circulation, uh, is another one. I mean, muscles are very much responsible for circulation to your limbs. Uh, one of the most common thing we will see is a cold foot or a cold hand. And that's because muscles have stopped working. Blood tends to stagnate. You don't have very good circulation. And so that will lead to a, a colder than normal, uh, hand or foot. And, of course, if you have a wound, you know, the, the healing will be much slowed because of that. You don't have proper oxygenation and nutrition going to these wounds. Well, sure, sure. I mean, I think we have, we have enabled our technology in such a way that we can fit patients remotely. We do it um, through through Zoom, we would do often. If, if somebody has uh, a more significant problem, we might suggest either coming to Axio or, or sometimes I will travel to the patient. But at the end of the day, most patients can be fit through a, a Zoom process. But we always start patients with evaluation because everybody who comes to us is going to present a little differently. And our goal is to not sell you suits that you don't need. What we want to do is figure out what is your what is your need? Is it 
Is it chronic pain? Is it muscle spasms? Is it atrophy? Is it all of the above? And we will figure that out. And then we will make a recommendation what we think would be applicable. Um, and so everybody who comes to us has a slightly different story, a slightly different need. And so we just figure that out and then design the suit accordingly. That's the great thing about what I'm doing. It's not, even though the suits are um, fairly uh, customizable, um, we want to we want to adapt our technology to the individual's problem. You know, that's that's one that's one reason why I kind of refer to this as neuroprosthetics, much like my field of orthotics. Orthotics is customization based on patient need, and neuroprosthetics is the same thing. And you'd be surprised, you know, just how varied people are. And so, I like the fact that we can adapt what we're doing to that individual. Okay, so speaking of adaptive technology and individuals, I think we should definitely get back to some of these stories about how uh, people's lives have been changed. So um, earlier, Anna mentioned Jesse, but we didn't get to hear Jesse's story. Oh, sure. Well, Jesse, uh, another amazing story. I have so many of them. Um, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got 20 minutes right now. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I got to Jesse fairly early on, and Jesse had a injury called paraplegia. Uh, she was injured from about T4 down. Um, and But unfortunately, and like a lot of spinal cord injury cases, um, she ended up with chronic pain. So spasms and chronic pain were her main complaints, along with the atrophy. However, you know, it's very difficult to live your life with levels of pain in the, say, 6 to 10 range, which is where Jesse was hanging out. And we found out that the, the, the stimulation, the technology was able to, to squash that. <clears throat> so in Jesse's case, what we did is we made her a pair of bio shorts. So she'll wear these bio shorts at night. She'll don them when she goes to sleep and she's, she actually wears them throughout the night. And what they're doing is they're calming the spasms and suppressing the pain so that she can live uh, through, through, throughout the day without pain and, of course, to be able to sleep at night properly. So in Jesse's case, she's a very active individual, super, super into sports and sport challenges, and she doesn't have time to sit around at home and just wallow in pain. So I think the biggest thing we've done for her is just return her quality of life to, to the level she was prior to. I mean, she was, she was very, very active prior to her spinal cord injury. Um, so now she enjoys a similar approach to life. She hasn't really decreased that aggressiveness, which is, which is really super nice. One of the great things uh, we we get from patients is quotes, and you know she she'll put it in perspective for you when she says that her wearable therapy system is as important as her wheelchair. And we all know how important a wheelchair is to somebody with spinal cord injury. I think I think if she didn't have the suit, uh, she would be confined to bed. I mean the pain is just so horrific. 
she wouldn't be able to go anywhere. So I, I believe she she has had an amazing return to to an active lifestyle mm-hmm. because of the suit. Yeah, it seems like pain management is a really big benefit of the suit. Do you treat Absolutely. things that are just, you know, like a run-of-the-mill, well, maybe that's not the right phrase, but a regular back injury, maybe not something that's associated with a massive trauma um, or a, a genetic abnormality, but just someone who who's worked really hard all their life and now they have back pain. Is that something that is practical for your device? Absolutely. We, we've done, you know, just a, a huge, huge number of people that don't have spinal cord injury, just have, you know, typical, there's lots of conditions that present themselves in, in people that don't have, say, paralysis that cause pain. And, you know, pain can affect a discrete area of your body, like a wrist or an elbow, uh, or it can affect very large areas of your body, say from your neck down to your hips. And so it's up to us again. We we don't have any restrictions on how we treat pain or what kind of pain we treat. Uh, we, we, we like to, again, adapt our technology to whatever your need is. So if that pain area is small or if that pain area is large, we can, we can address it. Um, but, yes, we, we see lots of people, roofers that have succumbed to a work injury. <clears throat> We've had people um, of all walks of life come to us with chronic pain. Um, and our spinal cord injury cases are fairly unique <clears throat> because one would think that when you're paralyzed, you lose your sensation, that there would be no pain. That is not the case. 65% of spinal cord patients will have an, uh, an ongoing issue with pain. And some of it can be very, very disabling. Um, the problem with spinal cord injury is many times your back will be paralyzed, and that means that you no longer have trunk support. So your spine is just floppy. And that may be one reason why you develop pain. There's lots of reasons for having pain in spinal cord injury, but that is one one reason. And we we feel strongly that backs shouldn't be floppy. We feel strongly that backs should be stimulated and supported. What happens to the... Have you done any research about like the actual neural networks in the brain and how this affects the actual brain? I mean, because you do talk, call yourself a neuroprosthetist. I'm very, very curious to know, like, I mean, well, you cannot heal someone with a traumatic spine injury. Can you still change some of those neural pathways in the brain with this technology? Well, we, <clears throat> we think so, but I want to go on record to say we can because you know, I, I can't get myself into the brain just yet. You know, that is one of my long-term goals is to figure out what exactly is going on in these brains that have been injured. You know, are there portions of the brain that can take over for the injured brain, the injured part? But I will say this. When we're dealing with people with, let's say, traumatic brain injuries, sometimes that will leave them with 
hemiplegia, which is this fancy term for one-sided paralysis, an arm and a leg. We've done some research over the past eight years, and we've discovered that wearing our upper extremity biosleeve can boost arm function significantly. I mean, we're talking seven times baseline, which is phenomenal. So this is just coming out. We're formulating our paper on this and hoping to get it published. But what is that? Um, I would say we, we think there's a combination of things going on. You know, it could be as simple as, hey, tapping on this arm for a number of hours per day helps that patient recognize that the arm exists. People don't understand, but when you have a hemiplegic uh, injury, that you tend to ignore that side of the body. So just helping the patient recognize what's going on with that arm is helpful. The other thing is when you have hemiplegia, muscles can tighten up. And in an arm that is flexed uh, is not useful to you. So if we can get that arm straight, we find that patients are much more likely to use that arm. And so I think there's a combination. We're just not ready to go on record and say really what's going on inside the brain. But one, one would one would assume so. <laughs> this might be a good time because we've sort of touched on a few topics. But um, I should preface this by saying this is very, uh, in comparison to the stories we've heard and the, um, the conditions that you've been able to cover with this technology, this is a lot smaller, but like, and this is maybe not even something that the technology would be good for, but as we've been having this discussion, the only thing, well, one of the main things that keeps going through my mind is, I wonder if this would be able to help me with my Charlie horses. Like, I'm, I'm just lying down too long, and then, you know, you get up too suddenly, and you got the sudden pain in your leg. And I think that's sort of, like, in the same ballpark. But again, it's... It's not nearly as long. It's not nearly as excruciating. But like, mm-hmm. even if it isn't the technology itself, like, as as someone who has worked in this field, does, do do you have any advice for those who do occasionally have a Charlie horse, or sometimes someone whose foot falls asleep, things like that, things that can just uh, help keep our muscles stimulated, even if uh, we don't need such drastic technology. Well, that's a very, very good question, because now you're asking, can this technology transition from people with physical disabilities, you know, major, long-term chronic issues to the person that has kind of a minor issue, or maybe there's real no injury? And the answer is, I, I, th- I think so. And, you know, I think there's room for this technology to help people you know, just maintain their muscle because after the age of 30, we all tend to lose muscle gradually over time, year after year, until one day you wake up and you find out, hey, wait a minute, I'm much weaker than I used to be. Um, But a Charlie horse is certainly in the, in the class classification as a spasm. It's a, it's a cramping. It's, it's, it's a muscle contraction usually happening on one side of the bone, uh, not on both sides. So so the muscle tends to cramp up really well without having 
the ability to stretch it out. But electrical stimulation could potentially loosen that Charlie horse, <clears throat> much like it does in spinal cord injury. It's in the same family, I believe. Now, uh, if you were using electrical stimulation on a regular basis, you might find that maybe it it alleviates the problem, and so you won't see it as frequently. That's that's one possibility, you know, or maybe you won't see it at all. So the question is, you know, would it be worthwhile to exercise your muscles in this manner as opposed to, say, going to a gym? Actually, there are quite a few centers, mostly in Europe, who actually do this. They take they they open up spas and they stimulate muscles um, in lieu of going to the gym, say, lifting weights. So I'm certainly not an expert in that area, but that that does happen. So I think the answer is it probably will make its way to the U.S. And in terms of those like spa or healthcare treatment things, is is there any relation between electrotherapy and say acupuncture? Because when I think about it, I can see a few similarities. Like if you put it in the wrong place, it's going to hurt a lot. It has the benefit of trying to stimulate those muscles but in my mind acupuncture is typically used more for like not getting things uh, excited in your terms but more kind of calming them down but well i think there are similarities between acupuncture and electric stem when you're doing acupuncture is my understanding because i'm not an acupuncturist or a specialist but my understanding is that there there are actually acupuncturists that will attach stimulation to their needles and the whole point is they're trying to reduce pain typically maybe other things but if they're trying to reduce pain they're trying to use the same mechanism which we are using i mentioned earlier the suppression of the nervous system that can take place because we all have these mechanisms that are built in to inhibit pain so assuming that they are trying to take advantage of the same mechanism I don't think there's a there's a there's a a 100% congruent analogy between the two, but I think uh, what's what's different about electrical stimulation as opposed to acupuncture, which may be a plus, may be a minus, but it, it when you're doing acupuncture, it's a treatment. When you're doing electrical stimulation, typically it's a little more wearable. I would say, you know, in the in the in the way we manage problems or manage pain but uh i know a lot of our clients who have pain have undergone acupuncture and then so most people will try a variety of things to manage pain usually by the time they get to us they've tried plenty of them if they've made if they've made their way to us typically those things have failed and then we step in but I would also like to go on record that I do not support uh, wearable acupuncture therapy. Please do not make something that would make me feel like I'm being stabbed every time I walk around. <laughs> Thank you for that interjection of humor. I love it. Well, I, I, I was born, I think I was born a clinician, somebody who gets up in the morning, who's thinking about, you know, how can I be successful today? 
And that success is usually coming in the form of helping somebody. If they walk away, like if somebody walks to my office with a pain level of eight and they walk out with a pain level of two, I'm a happy camper. You know, that's, that's exactly the, the kind of outcome that I live for. Uh, that's what gives me the passion. That's what gives me the drive to, to continue to develop products and to expand. Um, so, yes, I love to see results. I, I think it's amazing, um, if you think about it, how I can have such a large impact on one's life by doing almost nothing. What I mean by that is I have to do something to make the suits. I have to do something to fit the suits. But once I fit the suit, they go away from me. I don't touch them. I let the technology do the magic. And I, I love the fact that this technology enables people to go off and get better. And this is why we do ongoing follow-ups, because we love to document how well people are doing. And so I, I can see these, I can see progress. I can document progress. And many times people will tell me, look, I've been chasing this problem for years and I haven't found a resolution. And now all of a sudden I'm doing so much better. And that is extremely heartwarming. That's what keeps it going. That's something I had not thought about, but I'm going to contemplate that uh, evolution of the product as soon as we get off. No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. No, I think Axio 2.0 is going to represent a, a shift in technology. It's going to, you know, it's going to be doing some things that that I think are going to be very useful to everyone. Um, it's also going to be um, more scalable. So, you know, the next step for us is to determine what is it, what's necessary to make this thing scalable because we. Look, we, we face so many patients in the United States that have problems. I mean, it's an amazing problem if you think about it because one-third of Americans are in pain. Uh, so that's an amazing stat in and of itself. But then we have 17,000 new spinal cord injuries a year. We have 750,000 new strokes per year. So, you know, it's, it's just an, a, a super large problem. And so Axio 2.0 – 2.0, 3.0 is going to be all about scaling and getting the technology out. Now, whether or not we will be able to convince insurance companies is another story. And I cannot say with any degree of certainty whether that will happen. We do have a uh, an audience from the VA, from workers' compensation, from auto insurance, but as far as private insurance, and some will probably ask about Medicare, Medicaid, that still is not something I see in the immediate future. Lots of great things to talk about. We opened up about asking the question of what is something that you've done that, that you never thought was possible. And I think with Axiobionics in this conversation, it's all about imagining the impossible. So thank you for all that you do. So Meredith, we, I can't believe it. we're almost to the end of our time. 
I know. Thank you so much, Phil, for being part of our show today. Phil from Axiobionics. You can find more information at his website, axiobionics.com. This is KHOI Story City Ames. You have been listening to I Am Able Iowa. I Am Able Iowa airs the first and last Saturday morning of each month at 9 a.m. on KHOI 89.1 FM. You can also hear us streaming live online at khoifm.org. On the Saturdays in the middle of the month, please listen to Insight of the Mind with Julie Saxton, who provides valuable information about mental health issues. We invite you to share any comments, questions, and program ideas with us at contact at IamAbleIowa.com. You can also visit IamAbleIowa.com to find previous episodes and more information about our program. I Am Able Iowa is produced by Able Up Iowa, headquartered in Ames, Iowa. Able Up Iowa helps people of all abilities become independent by providing solutions to financial needs and empowering them to achieve their financial goals. Our I Am Able Iowa music was composed and performed by Sean Ryan. Thank you, Sean. I Am Able Iowa is brought to you by Barbara Wright, Iowa Able Foundation, Kurt Soderberg, and Lynn Van Clark. Thank you, Samantha Edwards, our I Am Able Iowa researcher, for coming up with our opening question, as well as the questions for our guest. And thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Anna Magnuson, Daniel Hedendorf, and Meredith Frankham saying, You are able, Iowa.